Hello and welcome to episode 130 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Uh, today is edition number 34 of Bubba and the Batflip, uh, where Bubba and I will take a look around the league at some news and notes, and then we will uh, unleash to, uh, two explosive, bold predictions each. Uh, that will really shake up the fantasy sports industry. No, I'm just kidding. But they are, uh, I think, pretty fun, bold predictions. So uh, it was a great show. It was actually really fun to do the bold predictions because some of the ones that um, Bubba chose were definitely controversial, and some of the ones that I chose are probably controversial too. So really hope you enjoy that segment. We also take some listener questions at the end. Um, Just wanted to give a shout-out to everybody who voted for the podcast in the app Baseball Pods Fantasy Baseball Podcast Tournament. Getting to the Final Four was certainly uh, a massive surprise, but just the energy and level of support that the podcast got, I cannot uh, thank you all enough. So thank you so much for listening, for supporting the podcast, for supporting me, for supporting Bubba. Really, really uh, appreciate that. As always, you can reach me at BatFlipCrazy. I am also working on some YouTube videos. Um, so if you just go to my Twitter, you can find some links to those YouTube videos. I'm five subscribers short of 100 on my YouTube channel. Once I get to 100, I get to name it, So, which is really exciting. Um, so help me get there if you aren't subscribed to that already. As usual, you can leave a rating or review for the podcast on iTunes. Always appreciate that. Thank you all so, so much. I, uh, yeah, I feel super lucky to do this podcast and to have you all as listeners and to have you guys in my corner. So thank you so much for that. Let's get this party started. And welcome back everybody to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 34 Another week in the life of waiting for baseball. You can find me on Twitter at BDNTrick and the co-host, as always, on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy, a final four finalist in the baseball pods brackets. Toby, how are we doing? <laughs> That's great. I like that. I like that. We should start a new podcast called Waiting Waiting for Baseball or like a movie yep. or something like that. Uh, things are going Things are going well. Yeah, the, the final four in the baseball pods podcast was obviously uh, uh, a surprise, but a lot of fun. Um yeah, I was just, we were just met talking beforehand and I mentioned how, you know, it was really exciting to have something like that going on last week, even after I was out of it. It was a great, uh, it was a great final, you know, with Launch Angle Pod and, and Pitcher List, just some great podcasts out there. So it was a lot of fun. Well, on the bright side, we'll have something fun to do next Sunday. Justin Mason's hosting a like, marathon video chat of over 90 uh analysts and we're raising money for meals for wheels i i saw your grouping is quite loaded so you have and you're one of the last groups so you get to bring the hammer with some outstanding well well-known analysts yeah no i i i saw that uh, going on there i just want to know what the color coding means you know i think there was a lot of it says that the, about it says what, it at the bottom oh does it does it, it, does did, it. Did, did you get the email no uh, i did get the email i haven't had a chance to look at it yet yeah, though. It, it says it's it's basically uh, the blue off the top of my head. The blue are people in Europe. Um, okay. And then like w- one of the colors is flexible. One of the colors, this has to work at this time. And I know Sammy Reed is in red because he's still undecided. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Um, yeah, no, it, look, it seems like a great pairing. Um, I don't know open bar uh, Ben, uh, but so I'm excited to meet him. 
Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Ryan Bloomfield, um, Derek Van Riper, Aaron Saucedo. I met him at First Pitch Arizona. So I met He's awesome. Derek, Ryan, and Aaron all at First Pitch Arizona, which was, yeah, which was a lot of fun. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun uh, for sure. And quite a undertaking as usual by Justin. And kudos to him. I think the, they're going to be raising money for Meals on Wheels and yeah. a couple others um, maybe. So that's uh, really exciting and really nice. I do now see the – I have it in front of me and I see the – a wonderful legend or key down there about what the colors mean. So, yeah, it's, it's a great fundraiser. Like I was saying, so go check that out. Every dollar that you donate goes into a raffle where the analysts will have prizes up for grabs all over the board, different things they can offer that they want to offer. And it'll be a really cool deal. So go check it out. It's going to be all kinds of stuff, just baseball talk, fantasy talk, a little bit of everything like the grouping I'm with at seven Eastern four Pacific. We'll be uh, discussing the MLB remix league that we're doing on OTP. So that'll be an interesting half hour of probably talking trash about other people's teams. So that'll be fun. Um, <laughs> there's nothing but, better, yeah, right? Exactly. It's just, there's, there's so much going on right now. So um, I recommend anybody, if you're bored, there's going to be videos of these. They'll probably be on YouTube afterwards. There's going to be podcasts made up for his different streams, all his different podcasts, Sleeper on the Bus, FWFB, TGFBI. They're going to be all over the board. So you'll be able to hear them if you can't catch them live, but, Watch the video. I have a feeling there's going to be some goofiness taking place there. So uh, check that out on Sunday. That'll be a fun way to get away from the world and watch a little baseball talk after three days of NFL draft action. So be pretty cool there. Uh, we're going to talk about some recent news and then get into some a couple of predictions. One good bold, one bad bold, I guess, or negative bold, or however you want to look at it. And then we'll, we got some listener questions to round things out this week again and the more listener questions they don't have to all be fantasy baseball we can have fun with things people so they'll bring them on but get to, um, get to know us bubba right i mean exactly. we are two uh you know reasonable human beings who you would like to yep. get to know more as people and not just as fantasy baseball analysts yeah and if you want to talk like, i don't know the whole situation of what's going to take place but i lined up a guest for next thursday the that's been on my show many times and everybody knows him in the fantasy world but I'm going to leave it quiet there. Just I want to mention the one thing he told me is he says, we can talk whatever you want, but I want at least a half an hour to ask you questions. So Ooh, um, I like it. I, he's all, I want to know everything about Bubba. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. So oh, man, that'll give you guys something to listen to if you guys want to laugh and realize how goofy and dumb I can be. Um, all right. Recent news. Shohei Otani. He started throwing bullpen. He's thrown two or three bullpens already. Uh, fastballs only for the most part, 15 to 30 pitches. He was supposed to be back by mid-May. Uh, obviously, whenever the season starts, we imagine July is the earliest we would see a season. If they're projecting July, he should be good to go. Excuse me. Um, any thoughts on uh, a healthy Shohei Otani? Because we were talking about him earlier. We were expecting mainly a hitter and then maybe pitching a little bit. But now all reports say he should be good to go. Does that change your thoughts on Otani going into the season? Um. Maybe slightly. I mean, it depends. I think that Otani's value is really wrapped up a lot in the league format. I think in daily leagues, when you can take advantage of every at-bat that he gets, or at least the at-bats where he's in the lineup to start the day. I mean, he's a great, he's a great hitter. Like if he was just a hitter and he was playing every day, he would probably be what a top, top 30 uh, hitter uh, for probably. sure. Just yeah. with that speed, uh, speed batting average power for sure. That lineup. Uh, so there's a lot to love there. Um, so if you're in a daily league, I think there's a ton of value with Otani, and I'd be 
prioritizing him in drafts. Outside of that, like in NFBC formats, which I traditionally play, um, it depends on which day he was pitching. I know they talked a little bit about him p- uh, pitching on Wednesdays, uh, which would be really interesting because then, you know, theoretically, you know, if it's similar to when he was pitching in his rookie season, then he doesn't pitch on, he doesn't hit on Tuesday or Thursday, but then he's got the full weekend series. So the idea of being able to have, um, you know, although, you know, that doesn't work even in NFBC, you know, because uh, it depends. I, I, I can't remember how I've never had him in NFBC to be honest with you. So yeah, I'm trying to think a, about if, how they, pitch, if you use him as a pitcher, you can't put yeah, him in. You can't bring him in. It's, so, one, it's one or the other. It's one or the other. Yeah. So that hurts. That hurts a little bit um, because yeah, because you can't really take advantage of the pitching and hitting. And so if you do have him in for one start, I mean, that's great. He could be really good, but again, he's coming back from Tommy John control is oftentimes the last thing to come back. Um, so you're not really sure what you're going to get from him. Uh, and you can't really, you know, so you could have him in there in good matchups. And then the second half of the week, you know, that Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you could have him as the hitter in that lineup, which would be really nice, but still like to me with where he's going, I just rather have some, a known entity at that point. I'd rather be able to build my roster knowing exactly what I was going to use um, at that point in the drafts, because where, where is he going about in drafts? I was just looking since, since April 1st in draft champions leagues, he's a 33rd pitcher off the board around pick 97. He's gone as high as pick 59. So the, um, helium is, is rising. Yeah. So I would be, I would definitely be out on him Mm -hmm. there. I mean, I'm much more interested in him as a hitter than I am as a pitcher at this point until I see him, you know, be consistently good, but you know, obviously a really interesting, interesting guy. Anyways, that's enough about enough from me. What about, what about you? How are you feeling about him? It is a hundred percent league dependent. Like you're saying in, in a daily league, like when we play barf, he's awesome because even if he only hits four days a week and then pitches one and takes two days off, you can move guys in and out because his bat is outstanding. It is an elite bat. Like you said, if he was just a hitter six to seven days a week, he'd be a very high pick no matter what. But now that you know they, they usually sit him the day before, the day after he pitches, you're only going to hit him three or four days a week. That changes things. And I know – I remember Scott Jinstead talked about it a lot. In his rookie year, he was pitching every Sunday. And then every now and then, you'd put him in your weekly lineup, and then they'd just skip him on a Sunday. So it would crush mm. you. It would absolutely crush you. You'd imagine if, like you said, they're going to put him on a Wednesday. Even if they skip the Wednesday, maybe he plays pitches Thursday or Friday. So at least you're going to get a start out of him. I'd obviously, we're pure speculation, pure speculation on even a season happening. I guess it's all just pure speculation. But um, ideally, you'd think the Angels would take it super slow. I've been saying the whole time, even before the shortened season, just going into la- like a full season coming back in May sometime, why don't you put him in the bullpen? Let him close. He throws gas. Like, let him, let him close. Because usually the fastball velocity comes back pretty quick with uh, Tommy John. It's still like the, the location and the, and the control, like you are saying. Go throw him in the bullpen. Let him pitch one or two innings a week, but then hit the rest of the time. Because you could still – you could put him at DH, bring him into pitch in the ninth, just leave him in the lineup. You sacrifice the pitcher spot, and the odds of you needing another pitcher spot slim to none. I think it's an, a logical decision, but we shall see. But for now, the helium, like I said, that's rising in an FBCs is very tough. Weekly leagues – or, I mean, daily leagues, I'd be much more open to a Shohei Otani, especially if your league can use him as a hitter and a pitcher – if you have to pick just one, it's challenging. Very challenging, but it is good to hear he's getting healthy. And assuming we have a season, we might get the full Shohei Otani experience, which I am all about. 
Uh, let's rotate to his teammate Griffin Canning, a guy, Toby, that was on everybody's draft board, loving, loving, loving Griffin Canning. And then he gets hurt. And it looked like he's going to need Tommy John, but they decided not to have surgery. They're going to, you know, PRP inject him, let him rehab, all these type of things. Well, he started throwing recently. He's doing long toss, supposed to throw his first bullpen here pretty soon. Everything points to a return sometime this season, barring any setbacks. I'll be real honest. Guys like this terrify me when they don't have surgery. I'm just really scared about it. He's still going around pick 351, which I guess, you know, is value behind Samarja and Anibal Sanchez. Do you have any interest in a guy like Griffin Ken, assuming he's got the green light come July or so? Not really. I'm, I'm like you. The the shoulder is just too much of a concern. There's so much to like about him. I mean, you look at he's got three pitches um, that generate a decent swinging strike rate. The slider, really nice, close to 38%. Uh, chase rate, 22% swinging strike rate. And he's got 13.5% on both the curveball and changeup for swinging strikes and gets a decent uh, number of chases outside the zone. The fastball isn't great, but having three you know, decent off-speed and breaking pitches, although the changeup got hit pretty hard, um, still, you know, that's a really nice repertoire for a guy who's only been in the bigs for you know, half a season so far. So a lot to like, but the shoulder is just too much of a concern um, to me. You know, it's just, it's one of those instances, like you mentioned, you just, you, you kind of just wish that he would have the surgery. Obviously I'm not, I'm, I'm not a doctor. Uh, so I'm sure he's getting good advice on that front, but this is the angels we're talking about. Like it seems uh, some sort of procedure is going to be necessary because he really hasn't been able to consistently throw, which is too bad because like you mentioned, he was a really, uh, he's a really intriguing arm, a lot going uh, for him. Uh, except for the health. And that's been consistent throughout his career. So hopefully he gets right. Hopefully he's able to pitch and, you know, we're proven wrong. But until then, I, I'm hesitant to invest in that type of an arm. Yeah, and that's, that's the biggest bugaboo for me is, you know, when they're a certain age like this, you know, when they're David Price or Masahiro Tanaka, okay, you know, you, you only have some more, so many more bullets in, in that arm. Go go roll with it. But when you're young, go have the surgery, get it fixed. Let's let's get things right. Uh I think we've talked about it on this show. I've talked about it with other pitching guys. I mean, almost sadly, the way things go these days, when they draft a guy, I almost wanted to say, go, go have Tommy John. We'll see you in a year and a half, and we'll start their career. Because they're all getting it at one point in time now, for the most part. It's like, Obviously not all, but you guys know what I'm saying. It, it's way too many of them, especially the ones we like. It, it's, just, it's killer. So sucks to see. Hope he is uh, okay, though. So we'll go from there. Uh, Yasiel Puig, a guy we've talked about a few times this year, especially in the outfield preview, a guy I know we both like, but it's really tough to like a guy without a home. That makes things challenging. Uh, you can't really sign any deals. I think there's like a freeze on that right now or something. I'm not 100% sure. But uh, there's rumors coming out, and obviously who knows what's true, that there's been multiple offers to him. The Marlins want him, which makes sense, you know, being from Cuba. Uh, on the ITL radio show the other day, we had a long discussion about all the things that Miami could love with Puig there. But what's your thoughts on Puig right now? Obviously, you'd imagine he'll be signed with a team once he uh, once the season would start. Like right now, he's going to pick 234. Are you willing to take a gamble on a guy like Puig without a home right now? I mean, I think at that cost, um, I got to get in more drafts. <laughs> um, oh, I'm about to Puig start doing just some like best ball tens, like not just to like keep drafting. 
Because, yeah, I mean, like I don't want to break the bank on the whatever chaos is going on right now, but just like a ten dollar two hour slow draft, I, I'm kind of in for. Totally. I mean, Puig at two thirty four. My God. Obviously, exactly. every pick is important, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think he'll eventually find a home. He. It's interesting. I feel like the shortened season presents some intriguing like opportunities. It could work either way where, you know, Mm -hmm. because of the, of having so many games easier for guys to get injured or in double headers, just a need for more depth on teams would make him a really intriguing ad uh, for a lot of folks. At the same time, there really isn't a lot of outfield spots available where he would be a consistent starter And with the deeper rosters that folks are allowed to have, you know, there may be a little bit less of a need for him. You could see it going either way. So I don't really know. I know he's good enough to start every day for a major league team. If he does start every day for a major league team, he's going to return incredible value at where he's going. So I do like him still, but I do think that there is significant risk, obviously, in drafting him. Let's just hope that some front offices wisen up and, and add him because he's an electric player. He makes the game a lot more fun and he's better than a lot of guys who are going to be in starting lineups on a lot of teams. That's a big plus. He's definitely better than a lot. I think one thing that plays well for him is I agree that the outfields are pretty much locked up for now, but with this shortened season, universal DH will help a ton with that. Mm. So that that'll open up some openings for him as well, potentially. Um, and then teams should just hire him because the dude's a good dude. Like he's a great teammate from people you hear. Uh, for crying out loud, he got traded at, at a game with the Reds to the Indians and still came out and got in a fight with the Pirates that night. Like, the, the guy's <laughs> wild, backing his teammates up. Um, he's he's great for the community. He's like, in L.A., I just saw on Twitter, like, this weekend, he's doing a food drive in L.A. because he still has a house there for the local area. He does things in Cincinnati, Cleveland. He, Cleveland is there for half a season. Like, the guy just makes a mark wherever he goes. I know he's goofy. I've said it before when I was a giant, when he was a Dodger, I couldn't stand the guy. The second he was traded, I voiced my opinion real loudly that I am a Yasiel Puig fan because yeah. I just love the, I love the excitement for him. I, I think he's good for baseball. Um, he doesn't go crazy. He's not like he's not literally starting fights. He's not going Milton Bradley out there and throwing things into the stands. Like he's just a personality. He's having fun playing baseball, and I'm totally good with that. So some teams should take a chance on him. I think Miami's a great spot for him. And that Cuban culture could be tremendous there. Uh, Mike Clevenger. This was one that people had him going super high this year. Then his knee got hurt and he dropped like a a bag of bricks. Like it was crazy how fast he sunk. But now he's starting to throw bullpens. His knee's a hundred percent healed. They say like, or he's allowed to have a hundred percent physical activity on it now. So he's been throwing bullpens here for a little bit. um, And he should like everything's supposed to be ready to rock and roll. And it's showing in drafts now because he's going around pick 25 as high as pick 17 overall right now since April 1st. Usually I would shrink this down, but there's not – that's only – that's four drafts. I, let me do online. I'll do online since there's, actually been, since there's actually been more of those for a while. There were no online drafts. So I was doing draft champions. Yeah, but, I, mean, yeah um, I think they're not doing uh, onlines um, yeah, anymore. Now, but there's been 61 online drafts since April 1st. He's going around pick 27, as high as pick 13. So people are buying back into Mike Clevenger. Are you buying into a healthy Mike Clevenger, or does that injury still kind of concern you? Yeah, this one is this one's so tough. I mean, it's not just this year's injury, but then also last year's injury. You know, he missed significant time with the back. If you actually look, like, he pitched really, really well 
Um, but at the same time, like if you look uh, underneath that, his velocity was also down significantly as the year progressed. Although clearly it didn't have an impact because he was lights out. He took a huge step last year with the increased velocity or whatever he did after the velocity uh, sunk towards the end of the year. Uh, look at his swinging strike rate, 15.2%, which is elite. He's been able to do it with a decent BABIP, so 306 BABIP, um, uh, pretty high strand rate, but the guy strikes dudes out 12 uh, Ks per nine, thir- close to 34% K percentage, came on his walk rate at 26.5%. So he is elite. It's just a matter of the injuries. Like, is this something that's going to keep on happening? Earlier, I was totally off of him after the initial injury just because it was his knee and it was his planting knee, and I just didn't feel great about that, especially coming off some seasons like Corey Kluber. You know, I think it was a couple of years ago he had a knee injury midseason and really struggled um, with his uh, with his control and then got lit up as a result. So Clevenger, I think where he's going seems about right, not quite where he was earlier on in drafts when he was going at that one-two turn in 15-team leagues. So there's a little bit of a discount being baked in there. So I don't mind getting him at this point in time. He actually might be a nice like kind of pocket aces piece where if you can grab like a Kohler DeGrom on the front end to to feel pretty good and then coming back around, you can grab Clevenger for that upside. I think that might be a nice little combo there to start off a draft, but um, a little dicey as my first starting pitcher just because of the injury history, but there's so many question marks with so many guys this year. I can certainly see why people are intrigued because the skills are off the charts. No, I'm 100% with you because Clev, before the injury, I had him as one of my top, I can't even remember, I want to say five or six starting pitchers. Like I I was really high on him, like you said, on that one-two turn. And there's still sketchiness there, but it's one of those like ceiling picks. His ceiling, I think, I thought was really, really huge. The knee injury happened. I agree the plant knee is a terrifying idea. But the fact he's healthy and already 100% throwing bullpens and they don't really have to rush him back. I think a lot of it was they were going to have to rush him back to like – Literally, we'd, we'd be a month into the season now. <laughs> like, So they'd be rushing him to get him back on the mound. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong there. Now they can literally do the proper rehab, keep his arm fresh, make sure the knee's 100%. When he's ready to rock and roll, it's like he had a full off season almost to get ready for it. Like his knee, at least. Not his arm, obviously, but his knee. So I think there's a lot to like about that. I'm curious to see where he keeps climbing as drafts go on. But um, I- I'm excited. I think it's an interesting pocket aces idea because originally – if you wanted him as a pocket ace, it's probably like Bueller Clevenger combos, Flaherty mm-hmm. Clevenger stuff along those lines. Now to have like a Cole DeGrom Clevenger, that's just really in- intriguing. So yeah. that's uh, that's something Uh-oh, to Bubba, definitely. Bubba, get, does get this behind. mean you're going to go pocket aces? Have, I, you, I uh, did it. I did you it. You did it one, at one time. You did. Yeah. 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 I, I don't that. hate it. I don't hate it. It just for me, it depends like where I'm drafting. It's, yes. it's just, it's kind of a, it's for me, I, I can't a hundred percent commit to it. Like you have, you have way more stones than I do when it comes to pocket aces, but <laughs> I don't know. Um, if, I don't know if you'd call it stones. I don't know. I don't know what that's, if that's what, uh, what, well, what you're, does it, you're, but, uh, you're steadfast in your ways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm stubborn. I'm stubborn as all hell. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. That's yeah. something my wife would call me. I, I'm not, I'm not allowed to call you friends, things like that, but that's um, okay. Yeah, it's it's one of those like you are very diligent in your in your ways there. Um, I'm I, I'm way more not comfortable yet, but I get it. So it's not about something I'll just throw away, like some strategies. Uh, let's talk about Clevenger's teammate here, Cookie Carrasco, who I was tremendously high on going into the year. Obviously, 
uh, battled, you know, cancer last year, came back, looked like things were good to go. Then the elbow issue started creeping up again. He got inflammation in his elbow, something he said, I remember we talked about this before, something he deals with this at spring training every year, which still doesn't make me sleep good. But inflammation's fine. He's back to throwing bullpens. Terry Francona said he's good. First, one thing, before we even get to Carrasco, Toby, when I was doing research for all this stuff, like finding things to talk about, it's amazing how many guys are rehabbing and teams know about it right now. I'm just going to throw that out there. Mm. So there's a, there's a lot of uh, facilities still in works. Yeah. Um, but what's your thoughts on Carrasco? Because he's going around pick 140 right now, which if we get a healthy Carrasco in a small, uh, short season, you know, he's going after David Price, Eduardo Rodriguez, even after Shohei Otani, Max Freed. It's an intriguing discussion, let's say, to say the least. Good God, Bubba, I need to do some drafts. Man, can you imagine starting out? Can you imagine starting out Cole, Clevenger, Carrasco? I mean, that's a lot of risk, obviously, to take on. But But on a short season, why not? And you just need one of those two to hit, really. I mean, um, three aces almost. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I think the obviously the shorter the season, the more uh, time to rest and, and recuperate, the better for Carrasco, given what he went through last year. It's so nice to see him on the field. I think that's a, I think that's a really solid target around pick 140. Uh, that's I think potentially some tremendous value. Obviously, you know, he had, I think it was the back uh, earlier on in spring training, you know, then the, the, the elbow, I think you just mentioned. So there's, there's certainly issues there. There are some warning signs, but at pick 140, it seems like a fairly good risk to take. I mean, if you think about him in the group that's like Matt Boyd, Max Freed, Carlos Carrasco, um, I can see definitely see him playing there, although I imagine um, some of those guys have moved up out of that zone there. So I think he's, an, I think he's a solid, like a really nice SP3 to have on your team this year um, because all you really need is, what, 80, probably 80 to 100 innings out of that arm, uh, which is a lot better than relying on 180. Let's have some fun with this real quick. So saying the July start of the year, which people are optimistic about, but still could be a long ways away. A lot can happen by then. Um, you could have Clevenger at pick 25 or Carrasco at pick 140. Which would you rather have for their price point? Uh, Carrasco probably um, okay. at 140. I think there's better value there. Like one example, so uh, earlier today I was on a pod with uh, SP Streamer. Shout out to uh, Michael and Doug there. But um, we were talking about guys who might be impacted by the Arizona situation. And uh, they had a really good point. Um, uh, well, uh, somebody, well, actually, it might have been me. So I'm going to take that back. It wasn't a great point. But one thing is to look at ground ball rate, right? If the ball's flying out of the park, mm-hmm. uh, if the ball's flying out of the park, like, Having guys who have higher ground ball rates is good. And a guy like Steven Strasburg, you know, has both a high ground ball rate and, and you know, he's, he's good whenever he pitches. Um, and we saw what he was capable of last year. So a guy like that, I would probably prefer over Clevenger. And I think he's going around uh, the same spot in drafts. But I'd probably rather have maybe a Clevenger than a Bieber just because of the he, Bieber already gives up a decent amount of quality contact and, you add the the climate and you know just the ball, the ballparks that folks are going to be playing in in Arizona potentially, and that's a little bit of a scary situation. So uh, I do like I don't mind Clevenger where he's going, but again, I think it depends on 
who else I'm going to have to anchor that, that rotation with him, because I do think there's significant injury risk. Yeah. Now the ground ball concept is a very big one that we'll have to look into. If this program continues to play, it's going to be weird because it was first Arizona only. Then it was Arizona and Florida, which changes things a little bit. Florida is still hot and humid, but you never know. It's still not quite, you know, that consistent Arizona situation. Um, and now they're saying Arizona, Texas, Florida, they're going to try to use the pro stadiums as much as they can, which have retractable roofs and play three to four games a day there. And if that's the case, that changes all kinds of things. So, yeah, we're having fun. It gives us something to talk about, but there's a lot of mysterious things still up in the air. But uh, sure. for now, I'm with you. On, I'm, I'm with you on the ground ball thing, because that's one thing I've talked about uh, on a previous show with J.B. Branson on. We were just discussing, you know, if you have to like, it's not the end all be all. But if you're deciding between like player A and player B you might just go straight to the ground ball guy. Like that's just the way it's going to work for this weird season. Cause we're going to be in quite the uncharted waters. Let's put it that way. So definitely. Um, and, and just to, yeah. uh, so that it doesn't seem like, like I'm congratulating myself on a point that I made on another podcast. The reason why I thought <laughs> it wasn't me was because, uh, Michael raised a Matthew Boyd as a guy that would be hurt oh, by it gotcha. because yeah. he has the low ground ball rate. And, you should have, like, my soul, I hadn't thought about Boyd yet. My soul, like, was literally, while I was listening to him explain why I was, like, nodding my head, like, yes, you're absolutely right. And my soul was, like, uh, just in pain, you know, just thinking about, like, I have a decent amount of Matthew Boyd shares, but it's more like he was a guy that I really wanted to target when some of those bigger drafts were coming up. And I was like, oh, man, like, if this if this is an Arizona, I really can't bring myself to draft him. So that was a little bit sad. Oh. So that's why I thought yeah. that that it was somebody else who made the good point that was actually me, which means it's probably a bad well, point. But we, we can if, move on. If now. you want to, <laughs> if you want to feel better, you your your thoughts on Boyd. It's my thoughts with all my Max Free shares. So yeah, that that's not going to be pretty either. <laughs> so yeah, um, well, yeah, yeah, maybe he's a heavy sinker ball guy, but when he gives up a fly ball, they fly a long, long ways. So they they <laughs> definitely do, but without Arizona, <laughs> he's a top ten ground ball rate guy. So his, I know like, he's kind of. That's the confusing thing about Max Fried. It's like you look at him. That's one reason I love him. But it's, it's you know how it goes. Like he's a very good heavy sinker pitcher, but every sinker baller when the sinker's not working the way it should be is a batting practice fastball. And yeah. <laughs> in Arizona, that might get you a third of an inning. It might look like a Wade Miley start. Like he's tipping pitches. <laughs> so it's it's going to be a wild way to to break it all down. Uh, let's talk about another lefty that could get beat up in Atlanta. Cole Hamels. He, his shoulder has no more pain in it. He's throwing bullpens. He is in line. They said he'd be making rehab starts right now. That's how healthy he feels. He's going to be good to go, barring setbacks. So he's going to pick 296, a guy I was not in on to begin with, period. But 296, like he's going around Spencer Howard, Jordan Montgomery, um, some late relievers, Dallas Keuchel. This Cole Hamels, you know, he's not the sexiest pick, but just that – veteran ability anything like that is any of it rain for you um yeah he was actually a target of mine earlier on in the season before he injured his shoulder so i took a look he had the injury last season and after the season finished he said like essentially he came back too soon like he came back early earlier than he should have because he wanted to help the team and he just wasn't effective afterwards and when you look at him pre and post injury the numbers really bear that out so in his 17 games before his injury last year, Hamels had a 298 ERA, a 120 whip. His average fastball velocity was about 92 miles per hour. 
O-swing was close to 32%. First pitch strike rate around about 61%. And his walk rate was a slightly above league average um, for him. Swinging strike rate at 12.3%. In-zone contact rate at about 83%. So slightly better than league average. K-rate right around league average, slightly above it. So he was a good pitcher before that injury. After the injury, he was god-awful. I mean, 579 ERA, a 183 whip. He lost a mile per hour on his fastball. Couldn't get swings on pitches outside the zone. It dropped to 26%. His first pitch strike rate was 51%. So like, I don't know, 12% uh, lower than the your average starter. His walk rate ballooned up to 10.2%. Uh, Swinging strike rate fell a percent and a half to 10.9%. Uh, his K rate fell as well. So he went from a guy who had an ab- above league average K minus walk rate of 15% before his injury to a guy uh, with a uh, 12% K minus walk rate uh, after the injury. So he just was a different guy. And so if he can come back and be healthy, uh, that would be great. Where he's going in drafts, it'll depend on where other guys are going. But the situation with Atlanta is nice. Obviously, they should put up a lot of runs. Um, They have a decent bullpen, although I'm not uh, that convinced of it. And then he's still got that changeup. And as long as he's got that changeup, which is so dominant, I mean, 26% swinging strike rate and a 48.7% chase rate uh, on that. uh, And a 68.8% in zone contact rate on that on that changeup. Actually, it's 25%. I misspoke there. 25% on the swinging strike rate for that changeup. I mean, that is an elite offering that he can rely on. And so if the fastball's there, if the control's there, I think he can be an effective pitcher this year. I have to ask you, you said you're not too confident in that Braves bullpen, Mr. Will Smith, Mark Melanson owner. You're not confident in that bullpen? Well, it's just the other guys. Like, okay. I mean, Melan- Melanson I like because of role, right? Yes. Because, you know, I, I think he was better with the Braves. He threw his curveball a ton more. I think he can be effective, but he's not like a dominant reliever. He's not getting a K per nine anymore. Uh, Will Smith is very, very good. But then you look at like, um, who are the other guys that they have? They have like Shane Green there, who I don't yep. think is that good. And then the other guy is, um, who'd they sign? Martin, right? Chris Martin, Chris not the Martin. Coldplay singer, but. Um, the Texas reliever. The, the Texas reliever. He's really got one good season under his belt. And that was a really good season last year. And I'm not saying that things are going to be different. But again, we don't have a track record of dominance. We don't have a track record. We don't have consistency from him. And so that's essentially like Shane Green, who I think is overrated. Melanson, who I like because he gets saves and he's relatively cheap and he's on the Braves. But I don't think he's that good of a pitcher. And then, um, you know, a guy who doesn't have who doesn't have a track record. And so, you know, I think a lot of times we look back and we're like, oh, he was really good last year in the bullpen. And guys, there's very few guys who are consistently good year in and year out in the bullpen. And I just don't believe, you know, three of the four guys in that in that pen who they're going to rely heavily on are that consistent. Gotcha. No, I just wanted to bring that up because I know both of us are invested in that. Yeah, for sure. So I wanted to let the I, listeners yes. know. Like, <laughs> yes, we're, we're definitely telling. invested, Bubba, especially in Barf Draft. I, I have my one Will Smith part share. My one, my one lonely Will Smith share who's looking for his Mark Melanson to complete him. But yeah, um, you were getting, you're getting jiggy game. with it. You're fine. I was. I was. I was. Um, let's talk Paul Goldschmidt. This is a guy that I think he's a, a, an interesting value in draft seven. First baseman off the board at pick 71, as high as pick 53. 
I haven't really been going after him much because I was worried about the injury in his elbow. He's been going to the rehab, uh, the facility, the spring training facility, three to four times a week rehabbing it. Everyone says he's good to go. It's in that little like smorgasbord. You got Rizzo's going at 70, Goldie at 71, Muncie at 72, Abreu at 73. All these first basemen is going bang, bang, bang off the board there. So I, haven't, I don't have any Goldie. Just for fun, what's your thoughts on Goldie this year? Because uh, it seems like some think he's a value, some are concerned with him. Yeah, I mean, I think he's not he's not bad. I think the big thing for me, I think I have one share in a draft where he fell pretty far. I think I got him close to pick uh, 80 or something like that. And I like the, the reason why I don't have shares is because I prefer Abreu. I prefer Rizzo um, to Goldschmidt. And the big thing for me is batting average and stolen bases there. Um, I think the power was legit. I mean, he did pretty much what he had done. We thought of it as a bad season, maybe because of what what else was happening in the in the environment. But 34 home runs, you know, that's uh, second most that he's had in six years. Uh, 97, 97 for runs in RBI. So he's a very safe choice, I think. He's very solid. But I just see his two weakest areas being batting average and stolen bases, which means that I'm not as interested in him as, as I am in other places. Um, the elbow, we'll see. He's been so consistent. And, mm-hmm. you know, just played appearance perspective, last five years, the lowest is 665. So he's been able to maintain his health. He is now approaching, you know, 33. So he's older, and we know that first basemen don't age that well. But I think at this point, he's fairly solid. Uh, he's, a, he's a solid option all around. He's not spectacular but I think he's solid. He's been consistent. I think he can do that again this year with the Cardinals. Yeah, I, I think I need to buy back in on him some more for what he's doing. He's, he's like you said, consistent. It's a great word for him. Uh, we used to value him higher because he stole bags. You now he doesn't steal anymore. That's something we have to accept. But when you look at all his numbers um, last year, they weren't. They were a little lower than the crazy Statcast numbers he's been having in Arizona. But they still weren't bad. An eleven point three percent barrel rate down from thirteen. Still not horrible. Um, all of his other numbers, his hard hit rate, 42.4, hard hit year before is 43.8. It wasn't like he was falling off the face of the planet here. His strikeout rate actually dropped last year. So that's that's a positive as well. I think it was a combination of a new ball club, first time out of Arizona, um, and then going with all that injury issues what was something to uh, to think about there. His max exit velocity wasn't nearly as high as it's been in your past. Then again, it was. Uh, when he was 65th in baseball in 2018, it was 112.9. Last year's max exit velo was 111.5, good for 122nd. So it just shows you how many guys are right between those numbers or how baseball was last year. So two things to think about in, in those respects. Uh, I think he's an interesting bounce back. I'm with you, Rizzo. I like Abreu as well. It's just one. I think he, I was glossing over Goldie more than I should have. But when you really break his numbers down, he's still putting up pretty good consistency. His average is obviously down compared to the norm last year with him. I think all that's very much bounce back type stuff this year. So I got no problem bouncing back with uh, Goldie second year in St. Louis uh, could be a lot to like there. A couple more pieces of news here. Alex Verdugo not progressing well with the back. I know some people were hopeful that this time off would help uh, Verdugo get okay and be able to play regularly. It's not looking pretty. And it makes me wonder, Toby, do you have any uh, I, like interest in maybe going after a Kevin Pillar who might play more than we originally thought? or any other interest in that uh, Boston lineup, thanks to maybe less Verdugo time? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I had not thought about that with Verdugo. I haven't been very interested in Verdugo generally. 
if he bats leadoff in that lineup, then certainly there's there's some interest there. But I just don't think I don't see the power. I don't see the speed. The batting average should be solid, but um, you know uh, I, I haven't been a big fan of his. But Kevin Pillar is an interesting shout if that is what ends up happening uh, when they do play. If he does get uh, extended time, because we know what Pilar is. He's that guy who's you know fifteen ten. 2015 maybe um in a in a really good season and that is incredibly valuable uh who knows like just in in that lineup whether he'll steal as much as he did maybe with the giants and the blue jays uh, but yeah I, I like that i like that shout as a guy who's going real late in drafts yeah he's going around pick 350 over the last month uh, he's going as high as pick 256 so whoever was in that draft i think has the idea of playing time with kevin Pillar because he was a guy I used to always draft after pick 300 because he'd play every day in Toronto. He'd have 15, 20 plus home run upside, 15, 20 plus stolen bases, hit for a decent out. Like the dude was the most boring, consistent player on the planet. He even did it with the Giants last year. That's why, as a Giants fan, he wasn't going to cost a lot of money and they still wouldn't bring him back. Now he goes to Boston for like $3 million. So they got a discount on him. But uh, he could be an intriguing option. Like he's going. Uh, when you look at the outfield guys, he's going right behind Yoannis uh, Suspedis, Gerard Dyson, Kevin Kiermeyer, Tetsugo, Aristis Aquino. I, you can make some arguments on both sides of the fence there. Um, Mike Talkman's going two picks after him. Talkman, I'm kind of intrigued by, but yeah, I definitely I, want Talkman there. Well, let, let's talk about Talkman just for fun. Like, um, like I like the idea of Talkman when those guys were all hurt, but now say Judge's back, Stanton's back. Obviously, we know their history. They're one quick, you know, slip on a banana peel away from being hurt again. But you got Brett Gardner playing center field as much as people hate on Brett Gardner. He's still going to get playing time. Aaron Hicks might be healthy. All of a sudden, what looked like a shallow outfield might be healthy come July. It's still a big might. What's your thoughts on Talkman then if these guys are back? Because then it's really tough to see the playing time. Yeah, I mean, it is tough to see the playing time. But at the same time, like there's going to need to be a lot of depth. Um, you know, there's, there's, he's going to get an opportunity, I feel like, and I think he's a really good hitter. Um, and he's going to steal, he can steal some bases. He can hit for some power. I think he was a little unlucky last year with the batting average. So I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think he's bad. I, 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 what was the ADP that you said he was going at these Talkman's going around pick 354, 354. Yeah. So that's pretty far back. I do like a, a group of starting pitchers around there, so I might be inclined to take a starting pitcher. But I did, yeah, it is a little bit of a bummer. I had a couple Talkman shares there later on after the injuries. But, oh, well, life goes on. Yeah, what can you do? But like the idea was great. Like, if we started the season with all those injuries, Talkman was awesome at that price tag. Like zero complaints at all in that situation. But now it's kind of... I'm torn, and I know you know we're torn. Imagine what uh, Alex Chamberlain's going through right now. I know he was going to have his big season, and now it's like, oh no, what just happened? But um, I guess we'll see. Time will tell in that situation. But I, I wouldn't be opposed to throwing a dart on him, like you're saying. It's just a matter of uh, what could take place there. Uh, last little bit of news I have because it's it's interesting when we're talking about a bad Seattle Mariners team. We've talked bullpens before that could have multiple guys get chances that if you want to take late darts on guys, you can. All three options I'm going to mention go up after pick 320. Uh, Matt McGill is back healthy, ready to rock and roll. He's one of the favorites to close there. Yoshi Hirano is uh, set to be a, a potential closer there. McGill's going at 320. Hirano at 338. 
And then the other reason I wanted to mention this besides just the fact Miguel McGill is half as healthy. Austin Adams is a hard throwing righty as well. He had knee surgery. He's supposed to be back sometime in June. Thus, he could be healthy early in the season and could be a potential close asset. He's going to pick 360. So if we're looking for late closers, like again, these are all just like shooting, throwing darts at the wall here. And none of these guys might pay out. But I wanted to at least bring them up if we're looking at late targets. There's three chances, and maybe even more in Seattle. Would you take chances on any of these guys? Um, Maybe. Um, based on the prices that you shared, probably not. Everything that I've read, uh, DePoto or Servais has said um, – uh, service, it's service, right? That's how you say it. Yeah, I should service. know this. I lived in, yeah. I lived in Seattle for a number of years. Um, he, uh, I think they've said that they're going to go by, go for a committee. Yeah. And so I'm not that interested just because they're not going to be that good in the first place. Adam certainly has the skills. I mean, pretty phenomenal. I'm just taking a look right now. I really He's haven't awesome. dug into like, him. Really, really yeah. good. Yeah. It's really, and he, was, he is, was off the radar because he wasn't supposed to be play half the season, but now he's back. Yeah. I mean, many time in 32 innings, you have a 41% strikeout rate and a 16.6% swinging strike rate. I'm intrigued for sure. Um, so that's definitely interesting. So maybe a real late late round dart on him would be, you know, probably like something in a DC and draft champions, something of that nature. Um, or, you know, as a last pick in even a 15 team league, just to see if he starts the season as a closer and then move on if he doesn't. So Adam's definitely the most interesting based on the price right now. Uh, I have shares of McGill. I have shares of Hirano just kind of taking a stab in the dark if I needed a, a closer. But I don't anticipate hopefully needing to use any Seattle Mariners closers uh, in 2020. Yeah, they're going to be a messy situation. But as mainly, like you said, you get the random shares late because they were the value they have. But having Adams available, it's kind of, you know, last week I talked about Hunter Harvey and his fastball and his strikeout ability, even a small sample. You know, Adams has a little bit bigger sample than Harvey and still has some electric stuff, like really, really good stuff. And if you got the chance, could potentially run with it. So something to keep in mind. Wanted to bring that up on the show tonight. Uh, let's do a couple of bold predictions, Toby. We're going to do one good, one bad. I think we both have hitters this week, so it's convenient. If we want to do pitchers next week, we can or keep adding predictions as it goes on. But um, start us off with your good, bold prediction. All right. I'm going to go, well, I guess it's good for one player, one, bad for one player. Um, I am going to go with my first bold prediction. And again, I would call these uh, tentative bold predictions yes. because um, I really need to dig in a little bit deeper. Normally when I do my bold prediction article, I have like a general idea of what I'm going to do. And then I dig in a lot, a lot deeper. But my first good, bold prediction is for Kyle Schwarber. And my bold prediction is that Kyle Schwarber, who's going at an ADP around 140, I think, um, is going to outperform his teammate uh, and frequent uh, shower-upper on my bold predictions, Chris Bryant. So I think Kyle yes, you Schwarber... Love Chris, you love Chris I Bryant. love to pick on Chris Bryant in my <laughs> bold predictions. Um, I think that Schwarber is going to end up with a better season um, because I believe in some of the changes that Schwarber made last year. Um, he's always had a really good eye. Uh, he improved his contact rate uh, overall uh, 2% on the season, fairly close uh, to league average, but even better in the second half. Uh, he absolutely crushes the ball. Uh, you know, among the league leaders in overall exit velocity, 92.7 miles per hour, that's up 
2.7 miles per hour from 2018. Its barrel rate is up another is up 2%. His expected slug is among the league leaders. Um, all across his Statcast page, all you see is red um, because he makes incredible contact um, when he makes contact. And I think the key for me is is the batting average. He's not going to steal bases, obviously, but he's going to hit in the middle of that lineup uh, for uh, for the Cubs. I think he's going to play every single day, and he's going to absolutely mash. So I think he's going to be among the league leaders in home runs. I think he's going to score a number of runs because the OBP is going to be solid. I think he's going to drive in a ton of runs. And I think the surprise is going to be the batting average because with the increase in uh, average exit velocity, with the increase in contact rate, um, he actually uh, had a really good, a really good batting average towards the end of last season. He, his expected batting average over his last hundred balls in play was 324. Now, I will say one thing. You oftentimes won't hear me mention expected batting average because it's not predictive, right? So as we're looking year to year, what's going to hold up? But I think that batting average is indicative of a guy who made the changes he needed to make. He's already got a good eye. He started making more contact. That contact he made was better. And his ground ball rate also went down. So he was hitting the ball in the air uh, more frequently, for which especially for a guy who isn't too quick, uh, that's always beneficial. So I don't think he's going to hit 324, but I certainly think a 280 season um, is in. It could be in the cards. And then his teammate Chris Bryant. I think the batting average. You know, it's been in the 270s recently. I want to say, although I, I may just subtract like 20 points from what I believe he gets. Um, so he's been, let's see, load fan graphs, graphs page. Uh, so 282 last year, 272, uh, 295, 292. So obviously the batting average is usually better for Bryant, but if Schwarber can get to a point where he has a similar batting average to Bryant, I think he's going to hit more home runs. I think he's going to steal about the same number of bases since Bryant's stolen bases have dried up. And then uh, I think he's going to have more combined runs in RBI than Brian. And if you combine that all together, I think you have a guy who's going about 60 picks later uh, in Schwarber than Bryant. And I think Schwarber is going to be a better player this year overall. I don't hate it at all. I'm a huge, huge Kyle Schwarber fan. So I can uh, agree with everything you have to say right there. Not a uh, disagreement from me. So I'm a fan of that. Mine, it was kind of torn. It was Fran Mel Reyes related regardless. Um, I think the easy one that I've heard many people say, which I still might just stick to my guns, is I, I think he wins the uh, AL home run title. I, I really mm-hmm. believe that. 45-plus home runs from Fran. That's, again, on a full season, so take that down in size. But I think he, he's that good. But if I, you intrigued me with your Schwarber over Chris Bryant scenario. So I'm going to take that angle as well here. And I'm going to go Fran Mill Reyes, who's going around pick 111 right now will outperform another young AL Central outfielder, Eloy Jimenez, who's going to pick 60. Ooh. So we're going to go on a bold prediction on this one and uh, take take some Fran Mill. I've talked about Fran Mill a ton. I've written about him a ton. I love Fran Mill Reyes. The Fran Mill um, barrel rate is through the roof. His hard hit rate's through the roof, over 51%. Exit velocity. Everything you want to see out of a player has increased in the proper direction time and time again. The, the strikeout rate, even with the increased production, stayed the same. So, like, I want it to go down, obviously, but I'll take I'll take what I can get with a guy swinging the way he swings. 
And what I like about it, if you look at a guy with a a, a strikeout rate of over 28%, you would think there's a lot of you know problems there, which there is. That's not ideal. But when he makes the contact he makes, obviously less contact if you strike it out that much, it is outstanding contact. It is ideal contact. It is everything you want is like the 20th best ideal contact in all of baseball over 40 um, what was it? 40, 47% ideal contract. So 47% of the time he hits the ball, it usually is as like a 70 something percent chance of being a hit. Like that's something that's beautiful. And when you talk about the barrel rates, the hard hit rates in there, a lot of those hits turn into home runs, extra base hits, everything you want to see with a young ball player. Um, his ISOs was 263 last year, which is insane. All the projection sites have it above 256, 257 which is just wild times. Uh, they, they agree with the power. The average isn't bad. I love Fernando Reyes. He's young. He's getting better. He's trying to steal bags, which will take him to the next level. You know, he already was like three for three or four for four in spring, and he said going into spring he wanted to steal more bags. He was showcasing that, which was a huge plus for me. Eloy's not stealing bases. I, Eloy's awesome. Don't get me wrong. The power's there. He might be a better average source than Fernando Reyes, but what Fran Mill, I think, can do on a full season in Cleveland, I will take the gamble. Fran Mill Reyes outproduces Eloy Jimenez, ADP for ADP, fantasy value for fantasy value, end of season. Give me all the Fran Mill. So who's your next bold prediction? Um, my next bold prediction, and this one is going to be a little controversial, I think, Baba. <laughs> it's not going to surprise you because you've heard me talk about it before. But right now, Vlad Jr. is going as the number eight third baseman off the board at pick 61 in, since April 1st in online, uh, uh, online championships is what I'm going with. Um, my bold prediction is that Vlad Jr. finishes outside the top 15 third baseman for 2020. And the reason why I think Vlad finishes outside the top 15 is I just, I, this is embarrassing because I should not, I should believe, but I look at the guy and, and, and I will caveat this by saying development isn't linear. And so he can take a massive jump and nobody would be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised, but my problem is paying for him to take that massive jump. Starting out the conversation, you're talking about a guy who doesn't steal a ton of bases, right? Like he's probably going to get zero stolen bases this year. You know, he's projected for between one and three, depending on the source that you go to. Um, the batting average is going to be uh, obviously a carrying piece of that. But I just wonder, like, I mean, last year, his ground ball rate was close to 50%. That did not improve. Uh, that actually got worse towards the end of last year. Um, his ground ball rate was over 50% over his last 40 games. So it's not like he's made that adjustment yet. And I think with big league defenses behind him, uh, having, a, I mean, ground balls are better than fly balls that are going to get caught for your batting average. Don't get me wrong, but not having a ton of speed, better defenses, um, you know, he, he may not be able to replicate some of the BABIPs that he was able to put up in, um, uh, in the minors. I mean, he won't be able to just because defenses are better, but uh, I just, I just wonder about that a little bit. Uh, also the numbers just don't 
there's nothing that really jumps off the page at me. Like the, the strikeout rate is low, obviously, but the plate discipline isn't that, that great. Um, he actually doesn't like, I mean, last year again, like over his last 50 batted balls stat cast again, it's a small sample size, but you know, he was well below league average in his hard hit rate. He was well below league average in his average exit velocity. So he wasn't making the adjustments yet. I, I correct myself. He was right at uh, major league average with his average exit velocity over his last 50 balls in play. And I think the one thing that gets me, and I know like, again, I'm probably uh, not a, very intelligent for saying this, but one thing that kind of jumps out at me a little bit is he has the max exit velo which everybody really, really loves, but he doesn't actually hit the ball that hard when he hits the ball in the air. So um, his average exit velocity when he hits the ball in the air is uh, 93.2 mile per hour average exit velocity on line drives and fly balls. That ranks 121st out of 250 qualified batters. So... I just don't see it yet. And so for that reason, I cannot bring myself to pay the price that he's going at. And I just look at the third baseman who are going after him, right? It's like after Vlad, you have Manny Machado, you have DJ LeMahieu, Max, Max, Max Muncy, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I have him right about it, Juan Moncada, but yeah, you could have Moncada, uh, Eugenio Suarez, who will now be healthy, uh, Jeff McNeil, Josh Donaldson, Matt Chapman, Mike Moustakis, Miguel Sano, you know, even like guys like Eduardo Escobar, Tommy Edmond, Scott Kingery, with some of the skills that they have, you know, they could definitely take a jump up with, uh, with either the speed, stolen bases. Um, so I just don't, understand yet uh the vladimir guerrero love and again i may look really really foolish when all this is over but that's the the one thing that really gets me is that low average exit velocity on line drives and fly balls because it almost makes me feel like you know when he does lift the ball whatever it is with his swing whatever it is just in general just is not translating when he hits the ball in the air and he doesn't do that enough as it is. So again, I think if you think that he's going to have that huge breakout, you are paying for him to take the non-linear developmental growth jump, which is very possible, but you're expecting him to decrease that ground ball rate significantly, improve his average exit velocity on line drives and fly balls considerably to get that the home runs high enough where you know that combined with the batting average being really high is enough to compensate for the low stolen bases. So that is a really long way of saying, I really just don't believe in Vlad Guerrero Jr. at this point in time. And he's definitely going to be among my bold predictions in a bad way uh, heading into next year. Oh, it's okay. If you think people might not like your Vlad take, they're not going to like my take. Um, Austin Meadows is the 10th outfielder off the board. Austin Meadows. I got to hang up, Bubba. I can't hear this. (laughs) Austin Meadows is not going to be the 10th outfielder at the end of the season. He's not going to be a top 20 outfielder at the end of the season. Um, you are paying for Austin Meadows' career out of nowhere, just massive power breakout, just insanity. He had six home runs in 2018. He had combined between AAA teams 12 home runs. He has never had more than 12 home runs in a season. He hit 33 last year. 
Um, sorry, hate to break it to you. Not going to happen. Um, somehow he stole 12 bags when he has like the 112 sprint speed in baseball. He's really not that fast. So he took advantage of that. Strikeout rate went up. He, um, the bounce, you know, you look at some stuff, bouncy ball helped a ton. But when a barrel rate jumped 6%, uh, exit velocity jumped, hard hit rate jumped to um, 3%. There, there's, there's a lot of jumps, it, the biggest one being that barrel rate from 6 to 12. That was a massive hump to jump for me there. There's just a lot of things that I would take a step back and realize he's going to be good. I'm not saying he's not going to be good, but he's not going to be a top 10 guy that, with the – with the the contact he made there, his ground ball rate dropped seven percent, but his fly ball rate only went up two percent. Um, he basically, I think he maxed out every gain he made in like in a fly ball rate of only a two percent fly ball gain. You wouldn't imagine that many more home runs. He had twenty two percent home runs on outfield fly balls, which is very very good. Um, his pull rate went up from thirty two percent to forty one percent. So, you, which is what you want. You want the power, the pull, all that kind of stuff. But how consistent is a jump like that going to be? That's my biggest thing. The way you feel about Vlad taking that next step, I'm very skeptical about just how good Austin Meadows was. Like, could he have like a 36% pull rate? Sure. Will that drop his home runs? Yes. Maybe to like 25, which now he's a lot of outfielders I can get later. So these are just minor things that it just takes a couple of bad weeks from where he's at. You're drafting him at that 30 plus home run guy. I think he's more like a 20 to 25 home run guy, maybe 10 steals. He's really, I, I don't see him stealing a ton as he keeps going, like maybe eight to 10 steals, which is fine. But again, where you're drafting him is not the value you need to be getting. So Austin Meadows in a roundabout way, I, he's not going to be the 10th outfielder off the board by the end of the season. I think he's, if you go to any player radar, we'll say Raz balls at the end of the season, he's outside the top 20 outfielders come into the draft season. So Austin Meadows is my Ooh. negative bold prediction. Just destroying my soul, Baba. See, I told destroying you. I told you. Soul. Don't forget all about it's, your blind it, take. <laughs> it was it was it was painful. It was painful to uh, experience that bold prediction from just from a pure. I have I like Austin Meadows. First, I know so. a lot of people do. Somehow I have not ended up there, but I know a lot of people do. So um, it, it's not going to be fun for people. But I could be wrong. <laughs> so it could be not fun for me. So there you go. But, um, yeah, these were bold. These were bold, bold predictions. These were like explosive bold predictions yes. over here, like spicy hot salsa bold. So yeah. that's what you got there. Uh, we got a couple of listener questions for you. Our buddy Mike Sleepy K Curland, who, if you want to know the nickname, go ask him. Fell asleep on a podcast. Pretty good stuff there. <laughs> um, who's a player you get pushback on for being really high on, and why? Well, I'd say the most pushback I got get on any player is JT Realmuto. Yeah. I get uh, a ton of pushback on JT Realmuto going where I, where I pick him. I mean, I pick him in the late third, early fourth of 15-team league. So I think the highest I picked him is like pick 40-something, maybe like 42, something like that. And then the – the um, yeah, so – and if he's around there in the fourth and I already have two starting pitchers and I'm generally getting him – uh, so I think I get a lot of pushback from that just because people generally don't like investing in catchers. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people who don't like investing in catchers. And I think you have to be willing to invest in catchers pretty heavily to go with him there. And it's not a catcher thing really for me. It's really a, a JT Realmuto thing. I think he is. I think he's special. 
the things that he does, um, you know, the ways that he contributes as a catcher, which are generally speaking, the weakness of every other catcher. Um, you know, I think that's, it's a really special combination. And I believe generally speaking, my valuations and I believe the projections on him, I actually think they could be a little bit low. Um, and so I love JT Realmuto, but again, people don't like to invest, uh, in catchers. And so I think that's why I get a lot of pushback on him. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I think I get more pushback for guys that I don't like than guys I do like, it feels like. But um, I guess one that I probably get more pushback than I, I think most do is I'm super high on Boba Shett. Um, he's the 46th player off the board right now. I know shortstop's super deep, so if you want to wait, I get it. Or you can go early and get some of the bigger shortstop. I just think Boba Shett's got that bigger shortstop upside. Like the the big guys, the low, uh, Javi Baez's of the world, and those other, it might, maybe I'm a year early or something, but I really like what I see from Boba Shett. If you want another bold prediction, Boba Shett outperforms Black Guerrero this year on his own team. Like that's going to happen. Um, I, I love Boba Shett this year. So that's one that I get a lot of fight back on where, like I said, most people would rather wait because they're not believers in what he's doing just yet. I get it. He's young and you got to, you got to pay for him. You're, you're paying for that, uh, that early go. But uh, Boba Shett's probably a guy that I get a, a ton of pushback on. If I have to pick one guy for sure. I don't know if you saw my YouTube video recently, but I have not I, seen your I, video. I saw your poll on it, but I have not seen your video. <laughs> I, I talked about Bichette a little bit. I know you're not. The we we Bichette. might be in a fight, Bubba. We might I know you're fight. not a Bichette guy. I, 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 that's why I almost didn't want, I don't even want to watch it. Cause I, I, I know we've talked oh, you about it for sure. The truth I, hurts. The yes. truth hurts, you know? Yes. Off the <laughs> um, <laughs> Dave Petro's yellow, our buddy Dave says, how's a possible late start to the season going to affect the usual service time shenanigans? I think that's kind of still being discussed. There's like certain, um, basically if you play like one inning or something, it, it changes everything compared to having to play so many innings. Um, but I think that's still getting finalized, but there's definitely going to be some shenanigans in play. Have you any hunches on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It's still figuring it out. I think it could work either way, right? It could work where a lot of teams that generally maybe weren't anticipating being in contention could see this as an opportunity uh, for them to take advantage of a smaller sample size season and make a run where maybe they weren't previously. And so then, uh, you know, then they might be more inclined to have a guy start the season with them. Um, at the same time, you know, for a lot of prospects, I think, I can't remember who was talking about it, but I feel like it was a it was a really good discussion. It might have been um, our friends over at Rotorwire, um, uh, James Anderson and Clay Link, who were talking about it. But just like guys like uh, Joey Bart, you know, guys who maybe would have gotten their September call up or you know come like later in the summer um, to get that first taste of coffee because they're um, uh, is that is that the phrase taste of coffee sip of coffee uh, cup of Where, coffee. How does it? Cup of coffee. Cup, cup of coffee. Cup of coffee. What did I say? Taste of coffee? Taste of coffee, taste yes. Of, taste of coffee. Yes, the taste of coffee. Um, their you first live in Seattle. Taste, I know. What is wrong with me? I actually, okay, believe it or not, I actually have stopped drinking coffee. I what? have had like two. Is this a, is this a quarantine I, I have thing? had two glasses of, of decaffeinated coffee since January 1st. No, a, um, were you were you making a point to do this or did it just happen? Well, I mean, it's kind of a little bit of a long story, but oh. when I was in, yeah, what you know me, I'm good at a long story. I was, uh, was going to make you like, uh, I was like, no, cut it out. Like if we were on video, I would be making like a cut it, cut it sign. 
No, but actually, so it's fantasy baseball related. I was at First Pitch Arizona, and I got a ride back to the airport um, by, um, oh God, um, his last name is, is Gilroy. I believe it's Mark. Um, he's he's a, he's on Twitter. I follow him. I apologize if if um, uh, the name is slipping me right now. But um, Patrick Davitt was in the car um, from Baseball HQ and Joel Hanard um, and. Patrick was saying how his sister, I think, is um, she's a professor. And one of the things she does is study caffeine's impact on people's metabolism. And he stopped drinking coffee after she started uh, studying it because it was so um, it had like negative impacts on health and stuff like that. And so I I just did a thing in January where I um, and so I stopped for a little bit, but then I started drinking coffee a little bit. And Joel actually didn't do coffee either because of um, uh, because of similar reasons. So I was like, Oh man, well, so I stopped, I wasn't able to hold on to not doing it. And then in January I did a cleanse where I went like, I think like a whole month without eating any like processed foods or anything like that. And I also cut out, uh, caffeine and then I just, uh, I could really feel it when I started drinking it again. And then I just decided to cut it out. And so, yeah. Anyways, that's a really long, boring story, but it is fantasy baseball related. Um, that I've, anyways, taste of coffee, cup of coffee. Getting back to the subject. Um, I know you're all enjoying this podcast right now. Um, is I think those guys like that who would have gotten that cup of coffee, their first cup of coffee, uh, a little bit later in the season. Those guys probably aren't guys who are on teams that are not in competition. And so I think that might be one way where, in some instances, there may be guys who get an opportunity who didn't because their teams are more competitive and in the same stretch, there could be guys who don't show up in the majors this year, this, um, this year, because it just doesn't make sense for their teams. Yeah. I think that's the biggest uh, thing from that is if they're in it, there's a great chance to get called up sooner. Um, and since it's a short season, it's going to be, it's going to have like a fantasy football feel where it's a lot more quick decisions that impact things than playing it out and seeing how things go or baseball in baseball, where you usually have more time to see how things go. So it's uh, we'll see how it, it will be interesting though. If like a team starts out hot, maybe they'll start making some moves a little quicker. Teams start out slow, they might just pull the pin quicker. It'll it'll be real interesting to see how it all plays out. But I think those are the shenanigans you're going to see for sure. Our buddy Cody uh, McDonald, I, yeah. and it, and it's Scott Gilroy. I messed it up. Scott it's Gilroy. Scott Gilroy. Mark was another uh, nice uh, human being that I met in uh, uh, first pitch Arizona. No worries at Cody McDonald at Comac Do. Which organization or organizations do you see as benefiting the most from a shortened season in terms of chances for playoffs and World Series? I know there are probability statistics out there looking for your personal opinions. Who's your dark horses gaining momentum? Do you have any teams you see benefiting more so from a shortened season? Well, I mean, I think there's the teams that are benefiting because of injuries healing. So a team like the Indians team even like the Astros right where Verlander being injured I mean all of a sudden they're Granky and who else in their rotation if the season had started on time but I think most of them are just like kind of the fringe uh, fringe um, competitive teams so an example would be like I think the D-backs are good Um, I think the Padres um, could also be good Um, I think I mean, those are the those are the teams like the White Sox, um, teams that have kind of decent rotations, a decent amount of depth, and who I think are probably good enough to compete for a wild card this year. 
but in a shortened season have an increased chance of variance being on their side in a major way and, and really making a run at it. So I guess those would be the guys I think, but I love, I mean, I, I don't think the Rays are like a surprise team, but I no. think this really helps the Rays out. I mean, they have so much depth in their team. They have so much depth in their rotation. They have so much depth in their bullpen. They're just an incredible team. And so I think maybe it might benefit them just because, you know, they've got, they've already got the depth. They are going to be in an incredible position of strength. If they're able to expand their rosters, you know, they got guys that they can add like um, uh, Nate Lowe. Uh, They have um, Kevin Podlow, who's a third base prospect that they have right there. They have Wander. I mean, you know, they have, they just have a ton of guys that they can pull from, from a depth perspective. And so I think they get uh, a pretty decent boost um, from my perspective, but um, yeah, those are the guys that I'll, that I'll go with. How about you, Bubba? Yeah, the uh, the D backs are one for sure because I think they're kind of they were right on the kind of border of getting in. I think a shortened season helps them a ton. The Padres as well. It's a young team that I figured were like one more year of developing their young pitching, especially. But a shortened season with the extended benches could help them tremendously. I think those are two that stand out a ton in the National League. Like the the Central is such a, a cluster between the Cardinals, Brewers, Reds, Cubs. Like that, they're just going to beat up on each other. I liked all of them. I think it helps a team like the A's who always seem to find that wild card. Now they can maybe in a shortened season, you know, win, win the division, not to worry about the wild card. I think, I think it could help the A's quite a bit in a sense like that. Um, another team, you mentioned the White Sox. I think that's huge. The, the Toronto Blue Jays are one of those young teams that can catch fire. And if they catch fire, that they can really do some damage. I think it's, it's teams that we know have good offenses, but have bad pitching that over the long term, the pitching is really going to be a detriment to them. Where if you have extended benches, maybe you, you know, you, you can be quicker to pull guys and, and make more, maybe three or four inning reliever type guys. The Jays can maybe form a rotation like that and let their young kids, the baby Blue Jays, go and hit a lot. So I think the Blue Jays are an interesting team in that respect. You mentioned guys getting healthy. The Yankees are going to be healthy. The Indians pitching staff is going to be healthy now, gives them a shot. There, there's lots of ways to look at it, but if I had to pick a couple, Diamondbacks for sure. That's one that stands out in a big, big way. And then the Blue Jays. Those would be my two that I think would probably be missing the playoffs in a full season. That could be like if you're a gambling person, they have probably long shot, longer odds. Could be interesting. Just going to throw it out there. I haven't even looked at any odds. I'm just assuming because like I have the Rays winning the East and Blue Jays probably finishing fourth ahead of the Orioles, maybe third ahead of the Blue, uh, the Red Sox. You know, a short season, get hot, anything can happen. So I think the Blue Jays are an intriguing one as well. All right. The last question we have here, Andrew Dettel, or Andrew Dettel at Drew underscore Dietz. Hit me up on uh, Twitter with a keeper league question, so I thought I'd bring it to the show. It, he has um, Trevor Story and Lou Bob, or Yellick in categories league. Which which pairing would you rather have, Story and Lou Bob, or Christian Yellick in a categories league with OPS? He also mentions the categories are OPS, average, steals, home runs, runs, and RBI. So six categories there. He says a lot of hitters out there. So if he made the trade. He could pick up anyone from like Mark Kana to Ursula to Verdugo. Lots of options out there. So basically, he'd be trading Lou Bob and Story for Christian Yellick and then picking up a new piece on the waiver wire. How? What side would you pick, Toby? Wow. There's a lot going this on there. Is, this is a tough one. I mean, a lot yeah. of it depends based on the league that he's 
talking about, it would seem like, <clears throat> like it's a 10 teamer uh, or a 12 teamer. So it's a pretty or he, shallow. Or he's, bu- or, he's bu- or he's built up his teams for a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard in, in a keeper league. I'm just trying to think. I mean, I'm, I'm initially drawn towards the Yellet side mm-hmm. just because he's so dominant. And actually, he's only a year older than Trevor Story, so there's not a huge yep. difference there. And in OPS league, uh, Lou Bob, is, his OBP is probably never going to be very good. So the slugging might be elite, but the, the OBP will always weigh that down. So I would probably lean towards having the Yelich side of things. Um, I don't think, I think Yelich is obviously better than Story. I think Yelich's skill set should age relatively well. I think Story should be really good in the future as well. But I just think that um, I would take Yelich. Uh, I think Yelich is much better than Story. And I just don't think that Lubob, especially in a shallow league, um, you know, I think he's really, I think, I think he could be really good, but I think in your league, he's going to lack a little bit of, um, of that potential. And I think there'll be other players that come around other prospects, you know, by the time he's a really elite performer, potentially in two or three years, there'll be other guys who might be able to supplement that. So I'd probably lean with the better player in a shallower league and go with the yellow side. How about you? And now that you mentioned it, it is a short league because if those guys are on the waiver wire, that's a very short keeper league. So that's a good point there. That's probably what you're talking about. There's no way those guys are in a, one of the bigger yeah, leagues like, that, that we'd play in. Not a chance. So Yeah, like yeah. Kanye is like a, what, a He's 250 drafted. ADP or something yeah. like that. So <laughs> Exactly. So if you've got, you know, 30-man rosters, that's not even a – Not even a chance. Not even a 10-team league. Yeah, so right? that's a good point. So – um, and, and in that case, that's what I kind of told him and the answer I gave him before the second part that I gave you there, when all I knew were the two sides, I didn't know anything else besides OPS. I said, it's super close, not knowing a ton. Um, Yellick is obviously amazing. Do the back injuries, knee injuries concern you? Possibly, but he's still young and a stud. I, I told him initially, I kind of thought Trevor Story and Lou Bob for the idea you could keep Lou Bob forever. And I was thinking a deeper keeper league. So I'm thinking the kind that we play in. And then when he told me the replacement value, that changed things a lot. Cause I thought if it's one of those super deep leagues where you like your replacement value, maybe a Kevin Pillar or something that changes things a little bit. Like it's still a good replacement, but it, it makes you think a little more. Um, I think Lou Bob will be good. I, I think Trevor story is always going to be good, but you have to worry about him ever leaving Colorado because eventually one day they're going to want to replace him with one of the talents they have, in the middle infield, you think maybe not as Colorado, but um, that's something to think about. So I'm with you. I would go Christian Yellick. I go pick up like a Mark Kana or something like that and add to it there. But it's it's close. It's very very close. It's a good keeper league type trade. But yeah, I'm with you. I I, I take Christian Yellick. He's a top three draft pick for a reason, and uh, you roll with that and pray to Lou Bob does not become the next Mike Trout. So that's what you got to pray for. I don't think he will be, but there's some people out there that think. Like he's the next Acuna. I won't go try. He's the next Acuna, which that would be a heck of a combo, Acuna and Story. That would change things a lot. But for now, Christian Yellow's my pick. All right, Toby, that'll wrap us up for episode 34. See, we have plenty to talk about.
We're oh, good. man, we always have something to talk about, Bubba. I mean, who who didn't want to learn about the fact that I've given up coffee and the long, very interesting story about how that came about? I would for certain uh, listen to this podcast and also, you know, it's definitely a, a top four, final four worthy podcast for sure. <laughs> there you go. Definitely, indeed. Um, if you guys have any more questions, uh, hit Toby or myself up on Twitter. Toby's at BatFootCrazy. I'm at BDNTrick. Keep the questions coming. I know Toby's doing some cool YouTube videos. Uh, we'll save questions for the podcast because there ain't a, we're, we're grabbing for things to talk about. So if you guys got things specifically for us, we're all ears for you. But until next time, Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 34 in the books. Catch you guys later. That is going to wrap us up for episode 130 of the Bat Flip Crazy Podcast and edition number 34 of Bubba and the Bat Flip. As usual, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, it's obviously a little bit of a challenging time without baseball, but let's hope there's some on the horizon. Either way, Bubba and I will find uh, some fun things to talk about, and hopefully uh, we were able to do that and add a little bit of uh, entertainment uh, and joy uh, to your day with the podcast. Um, as always, best of luck with all of your continued fantasy baseball research. Uh, stay safe and healthy. Take care and be kind to one another.